Oh, what a great truth. I need to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, these moments you've given us on a Sunday morning to, to worship you. I know you will receive glory to yourself, and that is our heart's desire. I think you already have uh, through the music. I pray that you will through the message, uh, through our conversation, uh, each prayer that is prayed. Um, Lord, everything that we do, we want to point uh, to you, Jesus. So we, we give you praise, and I ask that you would, uh, and I don't know really how to pray th- this, except that you would hide me. Um, I pray that you would cover my flaws and how fragile and the quirks and my voice and all of those things behind the cross and that your message, the words that you, Spirit, want to, to be heard and to be pushed deeper into our hearts would uh, be what we take out uh, with us when we leave today. I trust you to do that, and Father, we are um, asking you to illuminate this text uh, that we're going to look at today. There's a little part in there that's um, kind of interesting, I think. Um, I pray that the youngest child in this room would get it. It would be so obvious, and I pray that the smartest person in this room would be able to understand it and grasp it as well. Thank you for today. Lord, we love you. And we can't wait to see what you teach us next. In Jesus' name, amen. According to the United States Census Bureau, or the Social Security Administration, the name Jacob was the number one name that we named our boys here in the United States in the year 2007. Not only that, but Parenting Magazine says that it will be the most popular name that we name our children in 2012, the name Jacob. It's always there toward the top. It's just a popular name. I know some Jacobs. Some of you are in this room. Um, They're all pointing at you. Jake, uh, we've got fathers. We've got children who are named Jacob. It's a popular name. It's a popular name in the Bible. It's used um, all throughout Scripture. Uh, In fact, God is referred to as the God of Jacob over 25 times in the Bible. That's how he's identified. He himself is associated with uh, Jacob countless times uh, in Scripture. The nation of Israel uh, is titled the house of Jacob. So we kind of get that and we're used to that, but uh, why? Why Jacob? Why do we elevate uh, that name both yesterday in ancient times and today? In 2012, uh, that will be the most popular male name given to babies. It's kind of crazy, but um, this question becomes even more puzzling when we look at, as we have been doing for the last several weeks and will for a few more weeks, this life of Jacob himself. This guy, he's so fascinating, but as we've seen in this series, I don't know if he's somebody that you think, yeah, that's, because, that's the kind of guy I want to name my son after. Because Jacob swindled his brother out of the inheritance, you know, his birthright. Then he took advantage of his blind, bedridden father uh, and lied to him to deceive him so that he could get uh, the family blessing. Then he gets cheated by his uncle into marrying this woman that he doesn't love uh, so that he gets another chance to marry the woman he does love. And then he gets passed around between these two wives and their two female servants. 
this is real. This is really happening. And, you know, and they, they're having this struggle, this contest over who can have the most babies. Uh, it's just, this is, a, this is something. Uh, and we said last week that if Jacob's life were made into a reality series, it would be one of the most bizarre, one of the wackiest families that would outdo almost anybody that you see on television or anywhere else. Uh, these people are just out there. So why would we name our sons Jacob? Why, what is so exceptional about this guy? Well, some of you, particularly if you have somebody in your family named Jacob and you're feeling a little defensive right now, or if you're Jacob and you're thinking, hey, knock it off, stop picking on my name. Um, you might think about the good stuff that, that in Jacob's life. And you would say, hey, Dan, don't forget that, yeah, he had these crazy marriages going on, but it was out of that, those children became the leaders of the world, so to speak. I mean, they, they were the guys who started the 12 tribes of Israel. And that through them, the whole world was blessed. Uh, they are their fathers. And the other good things about Jacob, surely that counts for something. And I'd say, yeah. And, and also I'd say this, that the story of Jacob's not over. We're about to see even more twists and turns in the next couple of weeks in his life and just some beautiful and messy and amazing things that happen to him, somewhat like it happens to us sometimes. Uh, but the, the big deal, I think the, the, what I want you to see, what I want to see in this, uh, or what I do see, is that all of these things that ha- happen to Jacob, the good things that happen to him, are solely the result of just the sheer blessing of God. He doesn't do anything, really, to be blessed. He doesn't have a lot to brag about in his life. Uh, These 12 tribes that will be born from Jacob, it's not because he was such, you know, an amazing dad. And they, you know, he and his wives had these uh, remarkable parenting skills, and you can go back to that and go to their seminars and, and read the books they wrote. Not exactly. They were as dysfunctional as your family <laughs> or as my family. It's just kind of scary. In fact, if you keep reading, and, and we will, later you're going to see this blatant favoritism that Jacob had on the two youngest sons, Joseph and Benjamin. In fact, he, he was so obvious in how much he loved them that the other brothers resented that and, and took steps to try to change things. And it created this a whole new generation of dysfunctional family relationships and this jealousy and everything that, that you think, oh, you came from that, that, that crazy background. Why would you do that again? Why would you do something that's going to cause the next generation to have that kind of trouble? But he did. But he did. So again, why this elevation? Why Jacob? What the big deal about Jacob? Well, the Jacob life is this messy, blessed life. And I think it's elevated because of this, this one truth. And, and I love this, this truth about this. And that's this, that God is the architect. God is the builder of a blessed life. It's not you. It's not me. It's just grace. It's the grace that Kevin just sang about. It's that God takes somebody like this guy who is sneaky and deceiving and stumbling 
and untrusting and he's just you know kind of shady and he builds out of him and through him this people through whom all the nations of the world are going to be blessed and this glory of God that shines through this imperfect flawed life I think I think does in us the same thing the lives I've seen of people, and, and I think of the moments in, in my life when God is the strongest, uh, it's when our faith is not so much to write home about, right? And you look back on those and you think, I was failing and I was in sin or I was, just, I was a wreck and the wheels had come off my life and my thoughts were chaotic and I was not responding well, and then God came in. It's just God. It's God, and that's what happens to people like Jacob. And I'm kind of glad because you know, that these stories are, of him are here because honestly, I'm a lot like Jacob. You know, there's people like Joseph and you read about him and think, oh, come on, <laughs> I don't relate to that. You know, or Mary, think, did you ever do anything wrong? Yeah, one time I had a bad thought. Oh, you know, and Paul, who's just this hero of the faith and nothing can stop him. He's just relentless and, and just so steadfast in his faithfulness. Or Noah. You know, I mean, you know, just go on and on. You think, wow, Lord, I'm, I just love all those people, but I'm kind of not like that. Because I know. That's why I bless guys like Jacob. Because you are a lot like Jacob. <laughs> and as great as they are, if you can't identify with those people, I want you to keep listening because God can work powerfully in the lives of men and women who maybe aren't so perfect. And that's what we're going to see in this text today uh, in Genesis chapter 30. We're going to begin in the 25th verse, and we're going to work our way through uh, the 31st chapter and the 18th verse today. And I want you to consider, before we read this first little section, I'm just going to chop it up for you and, and look at that, um, what's going on in the context Okay, and if you haven't been here before today, I'm going to catch you up in just a couple of sentences. Uh, Jacob has uh, been living in Haran for about 14 years uh, because his brother Esau, back in their hometown of Beersheba, uh, he thinks probably he wants to kill him because he cheated his brother out of his birthright, which was a huge deal. So while in Haran... Uh, Jacob meets the love of his life. It's his cousin, and yeah, it was okay back then. His cousin, Rachel, and probably no, it's not okay today, okay? You should call somebody, or we talk about that first. But uh, because Jacob didn't have a dowry, he didn't have anything to offer, and if you're here and your cousins and you're married, I am not condemning you, and I'm not judging you, okay? I'm just, I'm just put that out there. Um, he loves this woman so much, and he just, he's willing to do anything. He doesn't have anything to offer. So Rachel's father, Laban, who is uh, Jacob's uncle, you probably could use your handout and just diagram this, just draw this, okay? Uh, he says, okay, you don't have anything. He says, I'll work for you for seven years. Seven years, you know, cheap labor. How about that? He goes, okay, that's a deal. Now Laban, is a, he's kind of tricky himself. Uh, so when it gets to the end of the seven years and the wedding night comes, the lights are down low, he sends in his older daughter, Leah. And in the morning, Jacob wakes up. It's Leah. Ah! You know, and they both go, ah! 
That's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Um, but he, he goes, ah, oh, you tricked me. He goes, well, oh, did I not, did I not mention that we, oh, details, details, details. Uh, the contract. Look at the fine print. Yeah, we got to marry off the older daughter before we marry off the younger one. Uh, he goes, well, I still want Rachel. Okay, how about seven more years? Sign here, here, and here. Ah! So he works seven more years. And today, we're going to see uh, and look at this moment uh, where Jacob finally can hand in his resignation to Laban. And don't you know that if they had calendars that the insurance company or the funeral home gave them, it's hanging up there, and he's, he's like crossing every day off. It's the day. It's the day. He's, he's ready to be free. Uh, and he, he's going to uh, say, okay, seven years, check, done and done. Uh, I'm ready to go away. So I want you to listen and uh, read with me uh, in Genesis chapter 30 what happens next. In verse 20. Five, the Bible says, As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go. For you know the service I've given you. You know I've worked hard. You know I deserve this. You owe me this. That was the deal. So he's ready to go. But as we know, uh, and as we found out in Abraham's life, Laban never just sends anybody away. I mean, he's not going to let it go that easily because, after all, the situation uh, with Jacob has been a really, really sweet deal for Laban. In his maneuverings and the way he's worked, he's married off both his daughters. Um, He's received 14 years of really cheap labor. Uh, It was basically just for room and board is all it cost him to have this guy who was actually pretty good to have around. Uh, Here's Laban's response in verse 27. He, He says, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination. Wouldn't you know, let's just throw something like that into the story, right? If this family is not wacky enough already. Okay, uh, I've learned by divination, got out the Ouija board, and, you know, uh, that the Lord has blessed me because of you. It's all about you, Jake. Uh, and Name your wages, and I'll give it. Just tell me what you want. Tem- what, would it, what would it cost me to keep you today, right now? Let's, let's talk about this. Um, It looks on the surface a little bit like Laban's finally being nice about, you know, he's just being a nice guy. Like, you know what, I, I want to pay you. I want, I want to treat you right. And, and you just hear, doesn't that just sound just slimy? I mean, you just say, you know, tell you what I'm going to do. I like you, and I'm going to make you a deal, you know. And, and you, just, you just feel that, like, oh. And that's kind of what he's, he's doing. He, he knows you're the reason that I'm being blessed. Uh, you don't have anything but the clothes on your back. Oh, and the two wives and all these kids. You've got all these children now. Uh, and your options, Jacob, are pretty limited. You don't have a lot to bargain with. What's he going to do? Is he going to go back to his family in Beersheba, who maybe would just love that so they could kill him? Um, for all he knows, Esau just is still there thinking about this, just getting madder and madder as the years go by. Um, Right now, what he needs is a startup. You know, he needs a job. He needs some capital. He's got to get, get his career and his life going. And what does he know how to do? He's a shepherd. He knows how to, he knows how to take care of animals. He knows how to make these flocks 
um, really work well. So he needs a flock of his own. Um, And that's kind of the industry he wants. So look at this response that he gives, that Jacob gives to Laban in verse 29. He says, Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came. It has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household? I mean, I've got to have something here. Come on, Laban, throw me a bone. Jacob's starting to get up there. He's not a kid anymore. Um, He's lost his inheritance. He's lost 14 of his best years. You know, his best working years. He doesn't have anything because of his shady uncle. Um, He says, you know, I've got to either have something, I've got to figure out a plan, or I'm going to be working for this guy for the rest of my life. I'm never going to have anything, and my children aren't going to have anything when I'm gone. Um, I've got to figure out something. So he comes up. I want you to, to watch this, and at first you think, okay, that sounds okay. That sounds like a reasonable deal. But it's kind of unusual. In verse 31 to 34, this is the plan that he presents. He said, well, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I think he just paused right there. You know, he's he's as good as Laban is at this. I I don't want anything. Hmm. If you will do this for me, I'll tell you what. I, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. I'll just take that. And so my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Because you know what? And if you're worried that I'm gonna, I've got something going on, you just keep up with it and go out. And, and any of them you see, just pull them out. They're yours. You can have them all back. And Laban's thinking about this. He's looking for the downside. He's looking, well, wow, that sounds pretty good. And Laban says, good. Let it be as you said. <laughs> he jumps on that uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, and it turns out that Jacob has something up his sleeve. And these two guys are always trying to outmaneuver each other. You know, they're always trying to th- outthink one another. So he agrees to shepherd Laban's flock for a few more years, and these wages uh, that he received, you know, I said, I've just been getting room and board. That's all I've got. He said, I- let me do something kind of different. Now, if you were a shepherd in ancient times, the way that this worked is it was commission, okay? If you were a shepherd and, you know, you took care of somebody else's flock... And every spring or whenever uh, the sheep would have a new baby sheep. I don't know, what, what are they called? Oh, lambs, thank you. <laughs> baby sheeps, and it's, it's Josh's fault, because, never mind. But, um, so they have these baby sheep, and he goes, okay, typically what's supposed to happen is you get 20% of, every, you know, five are born, you get one. And it just keeps working like that, and you build up your flock slowly, and that's the deal. You get a goat, you know, he gets all the others, and, just, and you keep, and you're able to build up yours, but it's at a slower rate. You get a cut, you get a commission. Some of you work just like that today, right? That's, that's the way your job, so you're familiar with that. Jacob says, you know what, that's, that sounds pricey. I'm not even going to ask for that. 
why don't we do this? Just give me those that you don't like so good. They love to look out on these, you know, these hills and the pasture and see all these, these beautiful white fluffy sheep and they're all consistent and they all look good and the goats are all dark colored and, and they all blend in the way. That's so pretty. He goes, I tell you what, what messes those up is when they come out and they're real, you know, stripe. <laughs> they're, they're spockled. That just, that just, I just, just give me those. Now what Laban knows, are you with me? Okay, if it's, at any time you want to raise your hand, that's fine. Just, just ask me a question. But um, what he does, please don't do that, uh, is that he, he says, Laban knows that's not 20%. That's going to end up being 10, 5% of my flock, and they don't look as good and don't sell for as much. Deal. Done. So they get the attorneys together, and they draw up the contract, and they, they do it. And he's walking away feeling pretty good. And the first thing he does, he goes out into the flock, and he does it himself. He doesn't trust anybody. He goes out himself, and he removes all these oddly colored animals. So that he starts at zero. He says, you, you don't, this isn't retroactive. You don't get, you know, the ones that are already out there, all the, uh, I can't think of more adjectives, just these mottled, you know, looking, looking animals. Uh, so he puts those under his, the care of his sons. And then, just to make sure that there's nothing, you know, eh, you know hanky-panky going on, whatever, he, he says, I'm going to put three miles between myself and Jacob. I'm going to move you way out there so you can't sneak back over and get some of my weird-looking animals and put them in yours and go, ah, they, these were... Make sure there's no stealing. And I mean, he's, he's kind of covered everything he can think of. The deal is done. Uh, So they both uh, agree to this. And what follows is, to me, this is a part, that wasn't the confusing part. (laughs) That was was the, you know, this is the confusing part. So let me tell you what Jacob does. Jacob is stuck with this flock of, um, you know, he doesn't have normal looking uh, animals. White sheep, monochrome goats. Uh, So he's got this, his job, he's got to breed these weird-looking, you know, these odd animals. So he takes some sticks, takes sticks from three different kinds of trees, and he just peels some of the bark off these sticks so that they are stri... Some of them, you know, they just they look unusual. And that's the way he wants his animals to look. And then he takes these sticks, and he puts them in or around the watering places where the animals come, and the animals drink there, and they mate. Um, um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. And, they, and, and, and he thinks, there's this, because there's an ancient belief, this ancient belief that whatever an animal or even a person sees during conception will influence the characteristics of the offspring what the babies would be like. So, okay, uh, that's all I want to say about that too. Uh, but, that, but that's what they believed. And that's not all. So Jacob does this. And of course, we're thinking, it's not going to work. That's, that's the dumbest idea. You're staking your whole future on this. And he goes, yeah, that's, what I'm, that's my plan. And that's what I'm going to do. And somehow, lo and behold, he is able to produce these oddly colored sheep and goats as much as he wants, I mean, it works. Uh, the, the plan works. He, he gets these, and after six years, he has this huge flock of weird-looking animals. 
Okay, he's got these alien-looking sheep, you know, but they're surprisingly very strong uh, animals. And Laban's flock looks normal. They're, they're real pretty, but they're surpri- surprisingly weak animals. They're fragile and sickly, and, you know, they just... And here's what verse 43 uh, says, uh, says about that. It says, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. I guess he made some trades and worked in there, got himself some donkeys and camels and things. Um, and, and the Bible says that people envied him, that he grew in his wealth so much. And there's this thought during this, this time of history that how well you were doing, if you were prospering financially, that's a direct connection to how God's blessing you. That's how God shows he's blessing you to, to you and to, to people around you. Uh, and we see that. And we're going to see, uh, er, well, earlier in Genesis 26, it says, when Isaac sowed the land, he reaped the same a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and he gained more and more and more until he was wealthy. Uh, you see, and you see that all kind of throughout Scripture. Now, all that to say uh, that, that this note in the text, Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks, um, could be interpreted as being connected, God's blessing him, God's blessing him, God's blessing him. And to get a little better picture of how materially blessed Jacob really is, when we read in a week or two, when we get up to chapter 32, and Jacob is going to go before Esau, finally there's going to be a showdown. Finally these guys are going to meet face to face, okay? I don't want to spoil it unless you go home and read your Bibles uh, and figure this out. Um, You don't know what's going to happen next, but I'll just give you a hint, okay? A little preview. Uh, the Bible says he shows up with 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels. What is a milking camel? I don't know. Okay. Um, and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And that's what he gives in this effort to pacify his brother. And say, hey, I just want to give you a little something. Just, just no big deal, just a little gift. And he gives, them all, he gives him all of that. So that means Jacob's wealth, that, you know, that's just a fraction of what he... His wealth is stunning. He's just so rich now. And this is a clear blessing of God, just like was promised to his father and his grandfather and then, and then to him. Uh, so th- there's, there's where we are in the story. What do you do with that? What do you do? Because we know Jacob. And there's a part of me that says, that doesn't sound very fair. That doesn't sound like he should get that. But Jacob, he needs this flock of his own. Laban's not going to give it to him because we know his character. Uh, so in order to do it, he, he uses this method that is just laughable to us. Uh, it's misguided. It's, he, he relies on superstitious you know, ancient magical beliefs. I'll, I'll, I'll do these sticks and I'll throw them in the water and then I'll have those kind of animals. And we're like, dude, you know that's not, that doesn't, that's not very scientific or anything. Uh, but God makes it work. Now, in order to understand this, I think, accurately, um, I'm convinced we need to take note of Jacob's character. Just kind of remind ourselves of what this guy is like. Um, 
he's like of all of us, he wants to trust God. He wants to, but he also is always working something else. He always wants a little security uh, going on in the background. Uh, and from where he's standing, it doesn't look like God's blessings are going to come through for him. I mean, he looks at where he is now. It's been 14 years. I don't have anything. Uh, I know you promised this, but I got it. I will do this myself. And so he steps in, and, and he designs this insurance policy kind of, of sorts, uh, and this little scheme involving these sticks, and that's, and that's what he does. But as we keep reading, God confirmed uh, to Jacob that God is the sole reason for Jacob's success. A few verses after the most recent events with Laban and the flocks, we read about this conversation that Jacob had with his wives. It's in chapter 31, verse 10, uh, and he's going to explain to them about this dream. Let's see if, if I can find that. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw in a dream that the goats had mated with the flock that were striped, spotted, and mottled. Uh, and, and so he, he tells it, this is how this is kind of working, and I saw this on a dream. But when he recounts this dream to his wives, he doesn't say a word about the stick business. He doesn't tell her anything like, oh, and by the way, you know that old trick that great-grandpa used to do with the sticks? I did it, and it worked. He, do he doesn't mention that. Because I think he knows that his blessing is not due to some plan he came up with, some idea that he had. But he knows, in his heart of hearts, he knows this was God. God did this. I could never do all this and make it work. When Jacob decided to do this little trick with the sticks, he was doing what we all do sometimes when we're faced with similar circumstances. When we're in a jam, when we're in a situation, when we're in a tough place, we get real clever, don't we? You know, we start having these ideas. Um, his faith is weary, uh, and he, he, he's like, I'm just going to cling to this old, I'm going to go with this old belief. I'm going to do that instead. And when God starts putting those sticks in the troughs, you know, God's watching him do that when Jacob does that. And I don't think God, I don't think God said, that's it. I cannot believe you. You, you want to cling to this little superstition of yours. Well, Jacob, um, you know, that's just like your wives clinging to the belief that if, you know, you had these mandrakes that you're going to have these children and how well did that work out for you and, you know, not so good. Well, you know what? Just forget it. I'm done with you. I've given you chance after chance after chance, opportunity. I'm, I'm finished and it's your fault, so don't, you know. But he doesn't do that. And this is the main point. This is the main point of why I came today. God is always at work around us. At home, in our jobs, at school, the way and moments when we interact with other people, when we even do ministry, he is always at work regardless of how clever, how smart we think we're being. This is all about God being God. And God being God on your behalf. Now, some of the sticks uh, that we use in our daily lives, I think, are superstitious. You know, I think we think, oh, this is a great idea. And it, it's kind of like 
Uh, me helping God, me thinking, God, I'm just going to, I know you're going to bless my life, but I, I, I want to do this. This week I got this, this amazing opportunity. Um, first, I'll tell you, I was an art major in high school, and then I was a minor in college, and I even worked at an ad agency for a while as a layout artist. I kind of, I was real interested in that. Uh, but at my home, I came from a steel home. My dad worked in a, in a southern steel place, uh, and then in a machine shop for years. I actually worked there for a year myself. So I had this fascination with metal, and I loved art. So you can imagine how excited I was. And this week, I got this opportunity um, to, to meet. Uh, I already had already met a guy named uh, Preston Faribo, who is uh, a local artist, a metal artist here in Knoxville, uh, an amazing guy. He's done all kinds of huge projects. He's done things for the governor and for the state of Tennessee and for NASCAR and Red Bull, all these, all these big things. And he's doing this project for me that a friend so generously has um, offered to... You see this thing that I, I preach from? It's kind of a small table and everything hangs off. And he's noticed that. And he goes, you know what, Dan? We need one about this big, but we need one that's just for you. We're going to make it so unique just for you. So he contracted with this artist to make one really special. So I'd made all these drawings and sketches, and I scanned them and sent them to him. And he said, okay, out of that, I'm going to create this unique thing just for you. And it's going to be yours. And I'm sure it's going to be incredibly masculine and, um, you know, just really nice and classy. Uh, and I can't wait to see it. But part of the deal was, he said, part of the project is you get to come over and help me. You get to bend some metal yourself. You get to hammer some hot metal, and, and you get to be a part of building this so that your kids' kids one day will say, what is that little table? Oh, great-grandpa made that table, you know, out of metal because he was so amazing. Uh, so I go over, and, you know, and I'm standing. And you ever go somewhere, and you're kind of out of your environment, and you don't know what to do? You pick it up. What? Hand me that. I don't know what that is. So I don't, you know, and you're trying to be like, yeah, I'm, I know. Well, I, I don't know. And Preston is so patient. And he's so cool. But one of the, the first thing he does is he hands me this stick, this block about, I don't know, twice the size of butter, you know, like a stick of butter, uh, just steel. He said, we're going to take this, and we're going to make it into a cross. I go, okay, yeah. I, and so we take a saw, and we cut halfway, and then we just turn it over one side, and we cut halfway in it, and then he says, you, you get what we're doing? Yeah, yeah it's going to be an awesome cross. I have no idea what he, and I said, I'm not seeing your vision yet. And he just looks at me like, it's not my vision. <laughs> this is what we're, we take it over to the oven. I, should have, I, got, I took pictures. I'm just, I got my phone out taking pictures the whole time I'm doing this. And we, we fire it up, and we put it on the anvil, and this was the most fun part for me. He lets him take the hand hammer and just bang that. I mean, you feel like a medieval blacksmith. You know, I'm just hammering that thing, and we're, we flatten it out, and it's just so cool. We put it back in, and we heat it back up, and take it back out, and put it in the vise, and we turn it, and I'm banging it. The whole way we're doing this, he is showing me absolutely every detail. <laughs> He's walking me through how to do everything, and I'm so awkward. And he gives me, like, the newest pair of gloves in the shop. So I've got on these bright blue gloves that come up to here, and everybody walking by like, newbie, <laughs> look, rookie. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> hold it. And I'm so awkward, and it's just obvious I don't have a clue. But he kept being patient. He kept showing me what we're going to do. And there's times he would just assume, you know what we're going to do next. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, we're going to do something next. <laughs> I wouldn't know. And he would do it and look at me like, 
You fool. You, how do you know? And, but finally, we, we work it, and then we, we cut it, and we, we grind it down, and then we buff it, and we work it. And, and when we're done, uh, we, uh, here's what I made. It's like show and tell. Is that not so cool? I don't know if you can see it, but it's just awesome. It's got my hammer marks in it and the saw marks. Yeah, I made that. I made that. Preston helped me a little. <laughs> he actually pretty much made that, and, I'm, and, and he let me have it. But I told my kids, hey, look what I did today. I made this. Yeah, that's where my hammer hit it pretty hard. You know, I, the truth is, he did it, and I helped. There are these moments, these beautiful moments in our lives where we, we get this sense of accomplishment. And we think, I'm really making something out of my life. And I'm, I'm doing better than my dad did. Or I'm doing better than this. Or, hey, I think that was a great idea. And what I want you to walk away with and what I want you to get is that you didn't make it. You didn't do it. It's God's blessings on you. Every decision you've made, every moment where you've had to turn to the left or to the right, and sometimes you didn't make the right choice. God didn't abandon you. He was there with you, just like he was with Jacob. When Jacob is throwing these sticks in the water, going, ha, 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 I've got a plan. God's going, seriously? (laughs) You know what? I'm just going to bless you anyway. Your life, even if it's messy, even if it's, you know, gotten off track. And if you're sitting here today, and, and, and sometimes church is this, this dysfunctional collection, you know, of people who are pretending to be religious and pretending to be spiritual. And you're sitting here thinking, do I fit in? I think I blend pretty well. I look like all the other Christians. But in your heart, you're thinking, God, I'm so messed up. I'm just so messed up. That's okay. Because God is with you. And he wants to bless you even in spite of you. Even in spite of you. And the blessed life is available to those who just simply align themselves with God's promises. Up to this point in the story, Jacob has this this big flock and Laban's not real happy about it. Uh, And you can imagine how Laban's sons felt like, we we thought this was going to just keep working for us and this guy comes in. Our inheritance is reduced to a few scrawny animals. And, and this cousin who shows up out of nowhere now, he's, he's become mega wealthy. Uh, and we find out in Genesis 31 just how mad they really are. And they, they verbalize this. And they go, this, you've gained wealth from us. And this is going to affect our life. Uh, and, and Laban was not with the Jacob in this. He didn't like the way this turned out. Uh, but, but guess who was? What, this is kind of interesting. Um, in verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. I mean, it's almost embarrassing sometimes, and I just come before the Lord, and I go, God, it's, it's me. It's, uh, it's Dan again. And, you know, I am, I'm so sorry about what happened. And the Lord's like, Dan, I, I'm still with you. I know what you did. I know what happened. You know what? I'm still with you. A long time ago when I said I'm going to always be with you and I'm never going to forsake you, I really meant that. And I knew then that you weren't going to live a perfect life just because I promised you these blessings. 
You're still going to mess up. You're still going to, you know, be goofy sometimes. But I'm not going to leave you. And I just feel like some of us, you just need to hear that today. You just need to be reminded that wherever you are and whatever you've done to get to where you are, God has not left you. And he will not. He's with you. Jacob calls his wife out in the field and he tells her, you know, this is, you know, here's where the flock is. I want you to see what's going on. And he brings them out there so they can see all these goofy looking, this overly, um, whelmingly unimpressive flock of his. It's like, Daddy, are those your sheep? Yep. Wow, they're ugly. <laughs> We're going to get those one day. Yep, those will all be yours. Oh, you know, and they're just, they're bad looking. But he says to them, you know, in, in fact, in verse 5, there's this, this beautiful thing here. Let me just read this for you. He says, and he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. God of my father has been with me. Um. And he, and, he's, and he makes this deal. And in verse 8, he says, these, these, these spotted shall be your wages, and all the flocks bore spotted. And he said, the striped will be your wages, and all the flock bore striped. It's kind of like whatever he did, it just sort of worked out for him. Um, and, and don't miss what God says to Jacob in his dream. You know, Jacob has, has bred this flock. He's had an enormous success in doing so. And the fact that he had success probably raised suspicion in his, in his own mind. You know, I wonder if God's with me after all. And then came this dream. And first God reveals in this dream, he said, I'm the one that's been blessing you. Do you not get that? You know, you, 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 it's me. Jacob, it's me. I'm still with you. And despite all these years and everything you've been through and how, you know, you've been victimized by your uncle but yet you keep running away from me uh, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still here and you've made this a lot more difficult than it had to be um, and yes it's taken more time than it would have if you'd have just followed me from the beginning and just walked with me um, but, he, but he has and, I want you, and he tells his wives uh, this story and, and he begins to his testimony begins to take shape uh, and he says you know now it's time for these vows to be completed. And he says, I'm trusting in the Lord. And here's this response in verse 14 of, of these two ladies. And I want you to see this too. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? We've sold everything and, you know, and it's, it's all gone. And we're, we're, we're in with you. You see, for them, the, the decision wasn't that difficult because they had lost everything as well. Uh, and their father didn't really seem to care about them. That He's always using them to get what he wants. Uh, that's kind of dad he is. And, uh, and they're blessed. And it's going to become clear that even though they're away and that they are far from being devoted followers of God at this point in their life, they have taken this first step by acknowledging what God is doing, and they choose to be a part of it. And yet that could be where you are. You can say, you know what, I'm just not, but I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna acknowledge that God wants to work in my life, and I'm just gonna step into that. I'm just gonna take one step. I'm just gonna lean into God today, and I'm gonna trust that he has something 
that he wants to do in my life. Your story's not over. Your story may not have even really begun. This other big thing I see in this passage is that this blessed life is available to those who align themselves with God's promises. God has given you all these promises, and he hasn't forgotten about them. And you may think, well, but this happened in my life, and I got real off course, so I think I'm in no man's land. I'm I'm free-falling. You know, it doesn't apply to me anymore. No, you're not exempt from the promise. And I don't know how he's going to do that for you. I don't know how he's going to do that, but I know he wants to bring it back, and he's going to fulfill those promises. Uh, I believe he'll do that. You know, the Bible tells us that mankind can't fix and has never been able all the way through human history to, to, to fix this problem of sin. So God stepped into our situation with wisdom and with mercy, this unbelievable solution um, to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. He gave his own son. He gave us Jesus. And we had, for the first time, this tangible evidence of God's love for us. And how far God would go to keep his promise. God, this architect of blessing, this, you know, this implementer who raised up the nation of Israel. And from this family that we're reading about would come the king of kings. Think about that. Out of this chaos, out of this mess, out of all this dysfunction, Jesus generations later, would be born. Out of your life, God still has some beautiful, powerful things he wants to do. And if you're like me, you probably ask yourself, uh, me? I, don't, I think it's the other guy. I think it's this other person. Um, it's the girl sitting next to me, but it's not me. It's you. It's you. God, God wants to bless you, and he wants to do something maybe unexpected in your life. It's going to keep his promise just in the way you'd have thought at this point in history, if you understood prophecy and you understood everything, you'd have thought, well, so much, we can't have Messiah now because it's, everything's just so, it's just so bad. It's just so bad. I don't think it can happen. It's so tangled up and everything's off course. God works it and we're going to see this story unfold and see how God sets everything right and he puts it back together and Messiah comes. If he can keep that promise, he can keep the promises in your life. Your life is nothing for him to do. I mean, it's, trust me. I mean, it's, it's some, I didn't mean it like that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's, if he can do this for a whole nation, he can do you. I want you to do this at this point. I'm just going to just read this scripture that talks about some of our blessing. And I want you just to listen to it. So I didn't even give it to the tech guys to put up on the screens. And would you just stand, please? And I'm going to ask you to do something I don't always ask at the end of our time. But if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to read to you a little bit of how Jacob's blessings compare to our blessings, how God has blessed us. And I want you to step back into these blessings. They're for you. They're for you. And if you want someone to pray with at the end of our service, or you just want to pray by yourself, that's totally okay. Uh, Whatever you need to do, you do at this moment. Just respond to how the Spirit moves in your heart and in your life. Now listen as I read. And I'll try to read it as well as I can so that you can not miss how beautiful this blessing of of yours that God has promised to you. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. That's for you. That's for you. Amen. Thank you.